listening to Movie Land on ABC Local Radio, digital and online. Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me. Nicholas Verso's debut feature film, The Boys in the Trees, has already played at the Venice Film Festival and the Toronto International Film Festival. It's opening around Australia on October 20th. I will be chatting to Nicholas in studio about his very unique film. It's a bit of a Halloween movie, a bit of a coming-of-age film, a bit of a boys' bonding film, but it's also quite abstract, art house, you might say. It's certainly a unique vision, and Nicholas is a pretty young filmmaker, certainly one to watch. I look forward to chatting to him. Nicholas Verso's film Boys in the Trees opens around Australia on October 20th. It's a film that may seem to be one thing on the surface or when viewed from a particular angle, but it can be very, very many things. In fact, it is a a true genre bender, I would suggest. Nicholas uh, lives in Melbourne, but he's joined me in our Sydney studios leading up to the release. Hi, Nicholas. Hey, thanks for having me. So, um... When I first was about to, you know, begin watching the film, I thought, oh, wow, an Australian has made a Halloween movie, which is unusual. And the film is so much more than that. That's sort of its kicking off point. But that is kind of its kicking off point or at least an entry point in a way. It's it's a Halloween movie. Oh, definitely. I've always loved Halloween. You know, I grew up watching those Disney Halloween specials. And then as I got older, I, I really loved learning about what it really means, Halloween. You know, I think now we see it very much as an American holiday where people dress sexy. But once upon a time, when you go back to the Celtic origins of it and what it truly represents, I found that fascinating and really important. So um, I wanted to honour that and do it from an Australian perspective. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, we still do very much think of it as this American thing. And in fact, one of your characters in the film says that. They sort of, they have to get that out of the way. Yeah, oh, definitely. (laughs) You've got to name the elephant in the room, yeah. Yeah. And also, the film is set in 1997. Yes. And it feels to me that Australia has co-opted or joined in with the Halloween party night tradition a hell of a lot more since then. Totally. You know, I think Halloween's much bigger now than it was then, but I remember having a very big Halloween Did back you? in okay. 1997 because okay. it was when I was finishing high school and, and the last day of high school in 97 did fall on Halloween. So, and because and we've always had that muck up day culture in Australia, they combine themselves very well, you right. know, because <laughs> there's a lot of um, mischief that can be made. Right. Okay. So that's how the film kicks off is it's the last day of high school and it's Halloween and a bunch of boys are going to go out trick-or-treating slash getting wild, whatever. So is, is this an autobiographical movie? <laughs> um, on, you know, I think you draw upon your emotions, not necessarily events per se. You know, I mean, some of them are there. You know, I think all the characters are based upon people I've known or witnessed over the years. And I think, yeah, you have to love them all to sort of want to spend time with them and to write them. But, yeah, I, I certainly haven't done exactly what's happened in the film, but there are a lot of little transactions that I have. Right. I noticed, I read that you suggested that you wanted to sort of infuse Australian suburban streets with that Halloween of your imagination. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because in Australian cinema, we're really good at being very realistic, you know, and sticking to the truth of what our 
nation is. And but I always grew up, you know, reading Ray Bradbury and Neil Gaiman and watching fantasy films from Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg and The Craft and films like that. And so, and I love the way they aren't afraid to be heightened and to put a, a fantastical twist on our world. So I really wanted to do that in Australia because to me, I found Australian suburbia just as mysterious and magical as anything in America. But I wouldn't say it's a horror film. You know, we don't set out to scare anyone. You know, it's not a sort of blood and guts sort of horror film like you you expect. It's not the experience you get when you see The Conjuring or something like that. No. There is, there's certainly an eeriness to it yep. and there's something tense and unsettling. But that's kind of how I viewed adolescence, you know, like I kind of found your teenage years are a little like that where you have a lot of fun, but then there's always this sense that anything could happen at any moment, which could be a little creepy. So I guess that infuses the film. I mean, it's it's much more a film about friendship to me and the friends you have in high school and the ones you leave behind when high school's over and when your childhood ends. Right, sure. And that's definitely there. And uh, along with that friendship story, though, are these constant sort of visual extravaganzas, these refrains that are just um, visual and oral delights and they're spooky and creepy and gorgeous. And I guess is that sort of the idea that like looking back on youth, things are heightened or memories are perverted or... Oh, totally. I think as a teenager, you know, everything feels heightened. You know, everything's life or death. You know, you, you know, it's such a dramatic time because you've got all your potential ahead of you, but um, you're just so caught up in yourselves. And um, and so I wanted to find a way to do that visually. I didn't want these to be monosyllabic teens who sort of stare blankly at each other. You know, I wanted them to be really verbose and kind of pretentious. You know, they kind of, you know, they really waffle on at times, but um, they're just trying to work out their dreams. And I really wanted to put that up on screen because growing up, you know, I always, yeah, that was why I went to the movies was to escape and to enter another world. Right. There were a couple of visuals that reminded me of Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And I sort of couldn't help but think of Stranger Things, too. Now, I'm sure you were making this well before Stranger Things came on our radar, so I'm not saying it's influenced by that. But that, too, is a sort of nostalgic look back at childhood. Yeah. Well, I think there's just this wave of filmmakers, you know, that who grew up watching Amblin films, you know, who are now making their own films and can't help but be influenced by it and by the legacy of those great filmmakers and are now telling their own stories. So, you know, I mean, the Duffer Brothers are kind of around my age as well. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure there's kind of more where that came from. I've been reading some scripts lately where I go, oh, yeah, this is like what Jumanji was or what Home Alone was, you know, and because for a while there, those films weren't being made. You know, we kind of got lost a bit too much in these comic book superhero blockbusters and we lost some of those quirkier little films that used to get made and so hopefully we see more of those coming out. Yeah, my take on the, on Stranger Things was and I'm sure I'm not the only one but to have said this was what if a Stephen King book had been directed by Steven Spielberg? Yes, definitely. <laughs> like this is what it would look like. E.T. was the first film I ever saw in a cinema so okay. you know and so People like Steven Spielberg and Joe Dante and Richard Donner and Joel Schumacher, I mean, they gave me the best childhood a kid could have. As I got older, I discovered, you know, filmmakers like Tim Burton and Jim Jarmusch, Richard Linklater, and particularly David Lynch, you know, is a huge influence the way he views suburbia. And he always wasn't afraid to capture darkness, especially in teenagers, you know, in Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet, you know, he captures a side of teen life that you don't often see that 
feels very true. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess they've all been huge influences. Yeah, that's interesting. When you say Tim Burton and, I guess, obviously, Steven Spielberg, there's a certain way that they light the darkness that allows you to see everything. And I'm thinking of, there's a scene in your film that takes place around a body of water. And it is, you're very aware that it's night, but you can see everything. Like, you, you <laughs> weren't afraid to give it this sort of glow. Martin Dean is the cinematographer, and so we worked really carefully about that, and we were influenced by photographers like Gregory Crudson and Bill Henson, and we wanted it to look like a film. You know, we didn't want it to look too real. Right. Um, we wanted it to look magical, and we wanted the, the night to be beautiful. So we really wanted this to be a beautiful journey. It starts very flat and suburban and mundane mm-hmm. when you're in the daytime, and then as it goes into the night, the magic just starts to permeate the film. And and um, yeah, and that was very intentional and, and hard to do on a low budget. You know, we had to be very careful with where we light, you know, because at night you're really lighting, having to light every little corner. So we had to be very specific with what we wanted to light and what was allowed to be dark. Yeah, no, it looks absolutely terrific. And of course, along the way, the our two main characters start telling each other stories and it becomes, I guess, a film about storytelling where suddenly you're out of this nighttime odyssey and into these stories. Yeah, well, I always really liked that quality. It, it's kind of in films like Stand By Me and The Company of Wolves where you you tell these stories to work yourselves out, to work out your identity. Sometimes you can't face reality as it is, so you need to do it via storytelling. And I've always found that a really interesting device. You know, I've sometimes worked in the juvenile justice system with teenage boys and they don't like to talk about themselves, but if you do it via story, then they can actually process some of the emotions that they can't otherwise. And I think particularly for boys, it's a very useful way of tackling some of the darker areas that they need to explore, but they don't want to say, I feel this, you know, (laughs) they're not going to do that, but they, they might tell you a story that's very telling. So you've made some very successful shorts, including one called The Last Time I Saw Richard. Yeah. And um, this has led you to this. And I, I feel that, you know, you've gotten to this point relatively early. You're still young and, and with just a few very good shorts uh, to back it up. Tell us about that sort of journey. How did you manage to make that leap from from quality shorts to a, a, what feels like quite a big feature film? Yeah, it, you know, it's a really tricky journey. You've got to really want it and you've got to put in some really persevere because I think especially now, I don't think the there's never been a time when the Australian film industry has been so full. You know, you've got so many generations, com- not competing, but contributing right. to the industry and working. You know, you've got the people that came through in the 70s, those real pioneers, and they're still working. And then the new wave from the 80s and 90s and now the new kids coming in today and ones beneath me as well. And so it is sort of hard to find your way through so I think you've really got to highlight your point of difference and really have something you believe in you know like I had another film fall over that I had hoped to make before Boys in the Trees and that was actually really crushing and overwhelming but you had to pick yourself up and and really just go no well what what do I love so much that I'm (laughs) not willing to die for it but you know but to really do countless amount of hours unpaid and you know really 
beg, borrow, not steal, but beg and borrow to try to get the budget together to make and, and a story that you can inspire people to make with you because, you know, this film was five weeks shooting outside at night. <laughs> so you've really got to convince people to want to be there at five o'clock in the morning, you know, when they've been there for 12 hours. Yeah, that's interesting what you said about you've got to emphasise the point of difference and and what it is that you're so passionate about because there's no way that your film fits into a formula there's no way <laughs> you know there's no way it follows the directives in any of those 101 screenwriting books that are about the 101 rules it's about a way to make the 101 basic stories you know it's not a robert mckee style film so <laughs> i guess by emphasizing its originality and 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 its point of difference was its strength because you couldn't actually say oh well, this is like blah blah meets blah blah well, that was it. You know, I wanted to make a very me film for the first film. Right. And I think a lot of great Australian films have been, you know, I think so many of the Australian films that are loved are so distinct and only that person could have made it. No one else could have made Muriel's Wedding. Right. No one else could have made Fury Road, you know, or um, The Castle. You know, there are such personal, distinctive films. And um, and so, and I think that, and now The Babadook, you know, there's this, this wave of filmmakers who are really telling what they know of the world. And I think when you're really being true to yourself, then things sometimes, hopefully, will flow for you. Right. So tell us about that five-week night shoot. <laughs> what time were you starting every night? Were you, were you basically adhering? Was it winter, summer? When did you shoot? No, so we shot in Adelaide September, October. So we finished on Halloween, which was great. That was very <laughs> planned, actually, because we, we really wanted it to look like Australia in October. You know, yeah. because our Halloween is spring. It is things, the trees are getting lush as opposed to America where every all the leaves are falling and turning brown. So we wanted to capture that energy. So, yeah, we would be getting up at 5 p.m. and going through. And it was the one, normally in film, you're sort of rushing at the end of the day to make the most of the light before the sun sets, whereas we were the opposite. We yeah. had to chase the sunrise. <laughs> and there were moments where we would be going, hurry up, hurry up, we're gaining light, you know, because we didn't want to see the sun rising in the corner when we're in the woods and it's meant to be the middle of the night. Yeah. So, and you do kind of enter to enter a slightly altered state when you're working in that environment. You know, it is it is its own bubble because we're not from Adelaide as well. You know, we didn't have the restraints of home and your normal home commitments, so we were in our own little world, which really helped the film, I think. Yeah. And, and it also helped being in Adelaide because it just doesn't rain as much as Melbourne and Sydney. <laughs> right. It's the driest city in the driest state in the driest continent, and so when you're outdoors for five weeks, you need that. So did you have perfect luck with that? We did. There was only one day it rained, and that was when we were shooting inside at a convenience store, so it was oh, perfect, right. you know. <laughs> so we're actually really blessed with the weather. Like, if we'd shot in Melbourne, we would have been raining out it would have been very depressing and you've assembled a terrific song soundtrack <laughs> yes well i yeah i'm a dj back in melbourne i run a 90s night so i i know how much young people are loving 90s music and 90s culture at the moment even if they didn't live through it themselves um and but i really wanted to go back to the music that inspired me as i was growing up and at that time you know i was very specific and a lot of it was listening to triple j yeah. <laughs> in that era and um and so that's where i was sort of learning a lot and you know mixtapes and how I think for teenagers, music is a really important form of communication and expression. You know, like they often, 
use songs to define themselves. And we were really lucky that we could get so many amazing bands together to willing let us use their songs like Garbage and Marilyn Manson and Yoko Ono. It was remarkable. <laughs> yeah, that is remarkable. Because, <laughs> you know, as someone like me who understands these things, I hear one of those songs come on and I'm like, hang on, how did they afford that? Yeah, <laughs> no, so a lot of begging. You know, like, yeah. I mean, Marilyn Manson in particular initially said no, which was very understandable because his work's been very misinterpreted and, <laughs> and you yeah, know, yeah. judged over the years. But one, I wrote him a very, very long personal letter on what his music meant to me and why I wanted it in the film and he said yes so that was amazing good on you and I gotta say you you know a filmmaker's working with integrity when you get a film sorry a song as good as when I close my eyes (laughs) and you don't even bring it forward in the mix well there's there was a really funny moment in the sound mix where we're all using garbage as milk and the sound designer turned to me and she said I find it hilarious that you've got garbage as milk, but it's so soft in the mix that people will barely be able to hear it, but it's costing us so much money. (laughs) But it's just there right where it should be on a Discman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your film. It's a unique vision, and I I hope people approach it with an open mind, and and when they do, they'll they'll see something unique and original, which is what we all hope for when we go to the cinema these days because there's so much that is not. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. Nicholas Verso's film Boys in the Trees opens on October. October 20th. Thanks for listening to Movie Land. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CJ Movie Land. Subscribe to the written reviews www.filmmafia.com.au You'll find you can subscribe for free and they'll get delivered to your inbox. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast of course subscribe. It's free. You can find us on iTunes and wherever you get your good podcasts. Listen to the radio version on Saturday nights across Australia on your local ABC radio Network at 7.30pm but more importantly make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. Take care.